0: Well, it's summertime and so I'm on holidays. I'm about as far away from a sidewalk as you can get, uh, at least within a good drive. I'm on a little section of the Bruce Trail right now and uh, I'm up near Lions Head, Ontario. You know, this Bruce Trail uh, goes from uh, the far end of uh, the Bruce Peninsula all the way down to Niagara and uh, goes right uh, above uh, the city of Hamilton, where today's guest is from. Kevin Macins uh, is the pastor of Eucharist Church, and Eucharist Church is in downtown Hamilton. He started it at the age of 23, 10 years ago, and uh, he's uh, got a fascinating story to tell about many of the experiences that he's had pastoring in this setting. Um, he also recently released a book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? And uh, in that book, uh, he chronicles the past 10 years, and uh, that's a fascinating read. You need to uh, go in our show notes, link to that book, order your copy today. Bill Riley, uh, our co-producer, and myself uh, drove to Hamilton recently, where we met with Kevin in the office of Eucharist Church and what a, what a great guy. Uh, he showed hospitality and allowed us to conduct a couple other podcast interviews there, uh, so we we're so grateful for his hospitality. Well, without any further ado, I want you to meet Kevin Makins from Eucharist Church. Um, Kevin, I started this podcast because I wanted people to see and hear how God is at work in Canadian cities. Uh, so let's start with uh, this place. Um, we're in uh, Eucharist Church. This in this, the build the building the of building Eucharist of Church. yeah I of look course. Look at the sign;
1: it says very smallly the building of Eucharist. That's Church. right,
0: the building of Eucharist Church. And and while we're sitting in this back office, uh, I looked out the window a few moments ago and saw a family of raccoons on your neighbor's house.
1: They're yeah they attend occasionally. Yeah, They're not every Sundays, but they are they come sometimes.
0: Raccoons and the occasional squirrel.
1: And the occasional squirrel, yeah. Uh-huh. St. Francis up in this urban, urban St. Francis.
0: <laughs> so to get started, tell me about this old house we're sitting in and then take me on a five senses tour of the downtown Hamilton that you know.
1: Oh, it's depending on the neighborhood you're in, you want to use different senses. It's a very, uh, I'm born and raised Hamiltonian, so I'm allowed to tease it. Um, so yeah, we're sitting in what was originally the Victorian Baptist church that was back in 1875 ish. It was built. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a, a historic Hamilton historian in our church and he, so he's been looking up all these articles and finding all these small print, you know, I don't know how he does it. He goes to the library and looks it up, he's found all these, the opening day of this building and Fishing what it used on to be like. And, yeah. It's just, it's yeah. unbelievable. And, and that this was once the, like the prettiest street, Oh, beautiful Victoria Avenue and like. You know, so you read back in 1890 what this place was like, and now it's, it's a very different neighborhood. Um, but we bought this building off of the Romanian Baptist. So it was the Victoria Baptist Church. They sold it to the Romanians uh, 30, 40 years ago mm-hmm. when they were kind of a, a full congregation with young kids. And then uh, their kids went to English-speaking churches or stopped mm-hmm. going to church, stopped being a part of the church. And so the Romanians were down to about a dozen and we happened to make contact through a friend of mine who runs a bar who wanted to buy the building as a concert venue. And they mm-hmm. said, what church are you? And he said, I run a bar. I don't have a church. <laughs> and so they said, oh, no, no, we, we can't sell to you. And then he saw me at a party and was like, "Makins, you guys are a church. You should phone these <laughs> Baptists. And so we got their contact and ended up meeting with them and through a long kind of story, which people can read more about in the book if they're interested, how it kind of all went down. But we ended up picking up this, this building and taking it on. Uh, feeling like this is kind of b- a baton pass. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't know if this is our job forever to run this building or mm-hmm. if it's ours for a season. Um, but yeah, we've been trying to integrate this building into our presence in the city while also not being consumed by the building, which I think is a very easy thing for churches to do that. The identity of the church becomes so wrapped up in the building that the uh, neighborhoods backyards parks bike lanes coffee shops bars they stop being places of ministry because ministry happens yeah. in the building in the, right in the right. church that's right but i've um, been led to believe. yeah, yeah. And, and fair enough you know and there's amazing things you can do with a building you know we rented for seven years so mm-hmm. we you know we got used to not having a building yeah um and so having a building opens up a ton of opportunities but there are just as with all good things there are ways it can be used that maybe go sideways. So yeah. we're trying to figure out what does it look like to to let this space be a gift, not only to our church, but mm-hmm. to the church and also to the city, to the parish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, you know, now in COVID times, a whole other question. What does it look like to use spaces like this well without being used by them? And right. so we're, we right. are continually figuring that out. Yeah. But grateful that God, most days I'm grateful that God dropped this on our lap. Some days I'm like, God, maybe you could have just given us a nice like, air-conditioned, you know, hall you right. could rent. Because <laughs> right. there are times where you're like, gosh, this is a lot of work. Well, but it's the community's like, really own Yeah, kind of
0: like the difference between being a homeowner or renting.
1: Totally, yeah. And in this case, you're like a homeowner with 150 people. And nobody's quite sure who owns the house or who's supposed to do everything. Yeah. So you have to kind of figure that out as you go. Um, but we are figuring it out. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing to see even our congregation jump at, okay, how do we use the building well? And also say... What else can we do that's outside of this space, you know? And, yeah. and so, I feel like in many ways the congregation is really leading the charge on on figuring out what that looks like. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and the Romanians, uh, the gracious Romanians, gave yeah. gave you the building for the price of a house.
1: Yeah, they yeah. Now needed the price of a house put into it as well. Right, to right. Bringing up the stuff, but yeah, they they gave it to us for a very affordable um, price, and they continue to meet here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the evenings, which is great. So historically, up until now, we've had the meeting house in the morning. We are at three, mm-hmm. and then the Romanians are in at six, and so we've had three congregations meeting in here. Um, and the the meeting house just moved out because their building's done. So now we're just two churches now
0: meeting in the building. So um, I've I got a copy of your book. Oh, and you've got and it on uh, hand. Anyways, uh, the book. Uh, Why would anyone go to church? A young community's quest to reclaim church for good, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you told me it was about 50, 51,000 words, and yeah, uh, I, I read, read your book faster, I think, than any book I've ever read. Yes, uh, that was a goal. <laughs> well, actually, there's a couple other books that I read just as fast, and that was I Wish I Had Duck Feet, and uh, Are You My Mother? Okay, um, but Those um, great classics. Yeah, great classics from uh, my early years. Um, anyways, I res- resonated with with what, how you wrote and what you were writing, um, and and there were a lot of times uh, when I'm hearing your stories. It was reminding me kind of a younger version of myself when I was planting New Song Church in Windsor, um, and I've uh, survived uh, twenty six years of the. Glory and the Horror of Pastoring.
1: That is, that is a long time.
0: Yeah, in, in spite of myself, I'm still there. And, uh, but the, the way that you reflected on stories and uh, some of the mistakes you made, some of the insecurities that, that you had to abundant, work through. Abundant amount. of Yeah, yeah. But it, it really gave me a sense of the holy grit that's mm. at work in you. Uh, that uh, that these these tension points in your life are actually something that God takes and says, "Oh, okay, I can I can uh, rub you raw in these ways." And yeah, we can work with this. <laughs> we can work with this. Yeah. So I want I want you to tell me a little bit about the process of seeing a book to completion, and um, you know, also having accomplished the writing of your first book uh what effect does that had on you um hmm. so the process of writing talk to me about that
1: yeah it's, i think it's it's got to be different for everybody but for me the writing really came i think there's i was reflecting on this the other day i think there's two ways to to write one is you write what you think and then you try to live it out um the other way is you you live it out and then you write what you found uh, so they're just kind of different directions. Yeah. Um, starting at church at 23, you don't know a lot. <laughs> you, you just don't, you don't know anything. Yeah. You're, you're an idiot, you know? And I'm still, yeah. you know, now I know five things, which is great. It's five more than I knew before. Um, so I think when we started, I always, I, I like creating stuff, you know, I just, that's, it's fun to me. I was, I was making radio podcasts on cassette tapes when I was a kid, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was, my first book was Sesame Streets on fire when I was five, you know, it's, yeah. So, so I always had this feeling of like, Oh, someday I want to write, I want to write a book, you know? And when you get into theology world and you get into pastoring world and you know, you're young and in seminary, you go, oh, I'm going to write a book like these books I'm reading because you,
0: yeah. you know,
1: and, um,
0: written by 60 year old men, right? Who, yeah.
1: Yeah. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to contribute to this. And had a wise mentors early on that I talked to say, don't write for a while. Like you're, whatever you write, you're going to regret it later. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no way you're going to write a masterpiece, your first kick. But if you wait a couple years, you'll know what's true. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll know what actually is true, not your theories, but what you've learned to be true. Um, There's a a reference in there. That's kind of a wink to, to Wendell Berry's Javer Crow, where he says, you know, you're going to have to learn to live the answers. You're asking Mm -hmm. questions, questions to which you cannot be given answers you're going to mm. have to learn to live the answers. Mm. And then the character responds, well, that might take a lifetime. And the priest responds, it's a priest or a teacher, I forget. But he says, uh, you know, that might take a lifetime. He says, I'll tell you a secret. It might take longer. <laughs> and so,
0: yeah, that's you great. know, I
1: think that I, I kind of made this commitment. I, I don't want to write till I'm 30, which is not old, but is long enough to know if these things are true, you know, so that the odds of me regretting what I wrote <laughs> are lower. I'm going to regret mm-hmm. some things, but they're less likely. So I think for us it was the process was living this out for about seven years on yeah. the ground. Do these things make sense? What emerges in Hamilton in this particular context? In Canada with these kind of people, what emerges and what is fruitful? Mm-hmm. And then let's look at what was fruitful and write it down. So most of that was stories because right. that's how we experience fruitfulness, you know, that It wasn't a numbers thing like, well, we grew to this number. So let's share this, you know, share how it happened. Right. It was, here's somebody encountering God in a new way. Here's somebody learning to forgive somebody else. Here's my own insecurities coming up. And here's how God's helped me resolve those. And so those were the the places where we saw fruit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So once, you know, seven years in, I started gathering the stories, writing them all down just to get a sense of you know, oh, when I talk to people, they ask me the question about Eucharist, I always go to these five stories. I should write those five down. Mm -hmm. And oh, I always, I always tell it this way. I should write that order of events down. And, you know, after a couple of months of writing, I realized, okay, there's something here. I don't know where this is going, but this is, this is the fruit of kind of the last, uh, at this point, the last decade, here's some of the fruit of it. And so now let's articulate that. So Mm -hmm. learning to write about that, and that was its own challenge. But that was really satisfying and really fun. And if it ended there and all this was, was a gift to our own church mm-hmm. to say, hey, uh, here's what we've learned. Here's, here's my, as, as one of the pastors here, here's my best um, eyes on what this has been, that would have been enough. Mm-hmm. That would have been satisfying, um, just writing it and giving it away to our community. But now to hear that people around the world are reading it. Like I got an email from Argentina, and you're just like, what in the, what? And they're like, this is really resonating.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: you're like, well, it's a book about Hamilton, Ontario. How can it resonate in Argentina? But I think the places we've seen fruit then become these kind of, there are universal elements yeah. in these particular yeah. stories. And so that it's getting traction, that it's, it's being picked up, that's being you know passed around. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But that's almost like, that's almost icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. You know, the cake is good enough. So, you know, you better enjoy the process of it because yeah. that's the part you do get to know. And so I, 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 for me, I think the writing process had to be something that made sense in my life. It wasn't distracting me from what mattered most. It wasn't um, interrupting my love of my local community or my local city yeah. or my family or my friends. You know, it kind of had to fit in life. And I think it didn't happen perfectly, but it did, yeah. I did, it did find its place and yeah. it became a very meaningful process just in the creating side
0: right right it's it's like that verse about cast your bread on the water and in many days it will come back to you which i i never really quite understood why I you still would. don't really understand why when would you, you it, throw I your like, bread I don't, why
1: is there bread i want to <laughs> eat i don't want soggy bread i don't understand
0: yeah. <laughs> and why why would you do a soggy bread when it came back is to it you, like right? ducks is it about ducks maybe
1: okay give me your 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 interpretation of the text <laughs> i don't have one for for this one well, what yeah, is, I, I'm,
0: I'm thinking of writing my first book on it. Soggy so, bread is what it's soggy called. Soggy bread, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you've got another—you uh, got a deal to write another book.
1: I'm working on another book. Yeah. S- right now I'm marinating in the juice. Marinating,
0: yeah. Book. You got, got some ideas on, on what it, what you're going to do with it?
1: I do, but I'm not yet able to say. Not at liberty. Either, um, yeah. but I think I think it's you know this book was very much about community. Hmm. Um, for anyone that's read it, it's, it's rooted in a local community. It, it involves all these different characters. And it's about a communal expression of faith. And I think the next one I want to talk more about the individual side of faith, which mm-hmm. um, I think for a lot of us is, is the default in kind of evangelicalism is you are a Christian first as an individual. Mm-hmm. I don't think I believe that. I think mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I believe that. I'm still figuring out if I believe that. I think I believe that you're fundamentally a community mm-hmm. b- beyond an individual you belong to the body of Christ and you, you, know, you, you are associated by the people around you that you, you live with. But you are also an individual. Yeah. You know, there's a paradox there. Or there's a, a tension there. Yeah. So I'd like to talk That's more about... That's worth exploring. Yeah, yeah I, I'm going to talk more about the, the individual side of faith, the transformative power of faith mm-hmm. and, and why it's meaningful to be a Christian mm-hmm. in a world with billions of options for belief and billions of options for identity. You know, why, mm-hmm. why this one? Um, but beyond that, I'm still marinating, still trying to find the thing.
0: I think that you're a new kind of apologist.
1: <laughs> it's a funny thing. Someone said that. They said, your book is an apology, you know, is, is an yeah. apologetics book, a defense yeah. of church. And I thought, this is the weirdest defense of church ever. I talk about putting bread in my armpit and then how everyone hurts each other. That yeah. is the weirdest kind of church apology. But it is a yeah. bit of a... We're back evangelistic... to soggy bread again. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But it, there, no, I, there's an evangelistic edge to it. I. I don't care what people believe. I'm not out yeah. to, well, I care, but I'm not out to control somebody. I'm not out to say, you better believe what I believe. I think that's right. the classic kind of uh, defense of the faith is you have to become like me and believe what I believe. Right. But I really value story sharing yeah. and I value saying, here's what I found fruitful. Here's what I found meaningful. And if you don't care about that, then that's okay. That's your right to mm-hmm. walk away. Mm-hmm. But let me tell the story, you know? And I, I think that that's, some of the best apologists, defenders of perspectives are comedians and storytellers. You know, mm-hmm. they, they naturally woo you into understanding the world through their lens. Mm-hmm. But the church has often had this aggressive, like, I'm your, your tutor. <laughs> not, yeah. I'm yeah. not like a storyteller. I'm your tutor. I'm going to tell you what's right and smack your hand if you get it wrong. Right. And maybe that worked in certain cultures, certain times. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, some cultures like arguing about religion, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you who doesn't. Hipsters in downtown Hamilton
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you, I'll tell you what doesn't liberal people in, in, in Ontario, you know, that, which is majority of, of urban areas are, are those kinds of personalities and they just don't find that compelling. So, no, so I don't want to start there, you know, with young people and with people that are disenfranchised or being hurt by the church, I'd much rather start with listening and with story sharing Yeah. and then let the spirit do the other stuff. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so beyond my pay range. <laughs>
0: What 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 a what an incredible thing when we actually give the work of the spirit back to the spirit.
1: Yeah, she's so good at it. Like the spirit is so good yeah, yeah. at transforming people. And I'm quite frankly rubbish. <laughs> like if people ask for advice, I share it. And then they go, oh, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, well, why? you know, I, I am much better letting the spirit take care of this stuff. Yeah. The spirit is so capable.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you, uh, attended, uh, heritage, uh, college I Her- did. <laughs> in uh, Cambridge, Ontario, uh-huh. and, uh, we have at least one mutual friend, Riley McLaren. Oh um, Yeah. Buddy,
1: the, the bearded chaplain.
0: The bearded chaplain. Although well,
1: not so bearded during some COVID times. I thought he was looking kind of fresh.
0: Yeah, well, he's got a, a woman in his life, so that may be affecting that his is, grooming that habits. That
1: is true. It, it, he's he's looking sharp these days. Yeah, he is. No, Riley's a dear friend.
0: Yeah, he worked uh, with me for six years at, at New Song Church, and he was the chaplain at St. Leonard's House after I, I finished up there. And in fact, uh, one of our upcoming episodes, uh, we're going to be... Uh, uh, doing it we have, have an interview in the can with riley where he talks nice. about his uh chaplaincy work with sex offenders and uh yeah, he's doing and the, the victims of sex offense and yeah yeah um so um and when when you and riley were in in school together you were part of the uh pastor's therapy group
1: yeah so the, i mean to, 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 to be. T- completely accurate they were all in school a little bit before me i'm the junior pup of the group okay um so they were in seminary together i was like just starting as one of them was just wrapping up his his seminary Ah. we had one class overlap but we had this vibe with each other uh, my friend john warner and i we had this vibe of like yeah, you and I, are, we've got questions. You know, we're asking similar questions in this. And yeah. um, lots of people in the, in the group had all sorts of questions, but the ones we were asking, there was a resonance there. So yeah. he he invited me into the, the the pastor therapy group with those guys about, I guess it was six or seven years ago, back when we were just kind of new in church planting yeah. and, and a number of them had been church planting or were now in, in different church settings. Yeah. So yeah, we kind of became each other's safe harbor to ask the really hard questions, to Dig into each other to ask each other the tough questions, to hang out till five a.m. And, and talk and yeah. That was I, th- a I think outlet.
0: I heard Riley describe the pastor's therapy group uh, one time where he said that uh, you would get together and and uh, whoever's turn it was to sit in the chair that you'd go around the circle and everybody would just basically take shots at the guy in the chair and. And, yeah. I mean, uh, like
1: shots in love, like, like how you, how, you know, loving shots, well, you can only really tease and, and, and get a thumb on someone yeah. you know, and yeah. to, you know, to really know them, you got to love them.
0: But himself. permission to to dig in, right? Oh, permission
1: to say, yeah, like, Hey, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll take something that maybe I'm working on. I'm working on this project and I'm really loving it, but I also think I might have an ego problem. So can you mm-hmm. guys just dig into it for a while and help me figure out if this is 49% ego or 51% ego? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like that's helpful to have those kind of people in your life who go we're going to ask you the hard questions we're going to, but you know, we're, we're for you. We're with you. And the church has often had this. Um, you've got to keep your guard up. You've got to keep your, you've got to keep a mask on. You've got to say the right things. You've got to mm-hmm. fit in the, you got to check the right boxes or else we can't be friends. You know, we can't be family. Right. And it's like, what kind of weird family is it that you've got to check the right boxes to be family? Like yeah. I, I'm Orthodox. I have no problem with Orthodoxy. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with, with denominations. I have no problem with theology. But when that becomes the primary, you know, when the primary fidelity between us is not the love of Christ, but is your alignment with me, your correctness in my perception, it's just not a very compelling friendship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of those, some of those guys are hard to take, aren't they?
1: Well, I mean, I've, and I've been that guy about my own things, you know, so it's not like I'm above it or beyond it, but, but to have people that help you notice where you're getting into those kind of habits who can really help you kind of. Yeah. strip off those layers. It's, it's a very helpful thing, especially for people that are in pastoral kind of work or ministry yep. kind of work. Oh, uh-huh. But I imagine every kind of, every kind of career, every kind of life stage, you know, that kind of thing is helpful.
0: Mm. It was really interesting in, in your book to read about, um, uh, just the, I mean, uh, you are a, uh, a church that has a certain, uh, uh Created liturgy uh, patterns uh, uh, yeah, that that we, are unique. We do
1: liturgy poorly. That's what I often say <laughs> to anyone who has no lit- liturgy background. They think we're like high church. But anyone <laughs> with even an ounce of high church in them is like, "What kind of mutts are these?" we yeah. So yeah, we do liturgy
0: poorly. That's so our brand. so tell me about some of the uh, some of the uh, droolings and sniffings of the mutt.
1: What some of the some of the liturgy stuff?
0: Yeah, some of the ways that uh, Eucharist church. Um, you know in, in your book uh, I, I, I was fascinated by uh, some of the things you do you got to tell me about um, Nap Sunday and, and yeah, the yeah, funeral yeah. for Jesus and oh. some things like that
1: these and, things are all like they they ring nostalgic now because our church is just going through this COVID moment like everybody yeah, else so yeah, actually having everyone in our church read the book has been beautiful because they're going oh I remember this matters you know because yeah. we've been apart for, for four or five months and we actually had to do a digital week this year, which was nice, but not the same. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to remember these things as we will eventually get back to some of those. Yeah. Um, so, so walk yeah, me Nap quickly Sunday. through
0: I'll, through your uh, your church calendar. So these are
1: the kind of, our, our church calendar, I mean, we, we follow the wider church calendar loosely. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because our identity as a church, um, though we connect with a denomination, we're tied in with a network of churches in mm-hmm. Hamilton. Um, True City. True City. Mm-hmm. We've always tried to not be a church that says, when you come to the church, here's what we are, and you now have to fit into this. Right. But we'd rather say, um, I talk about this in one of the chapters, we're not a restaurant with like our own menu, we're a potluck. Mm-hmm. So if you come here and you're Pentecostal, please don't stop speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. We need you to speak in tongues. Now, we may not have like a part in the service where everyone speaks in tongues, because it's not part of everyone's spiritual heritage or DNA. Yeah. But if, if you have those gifts, bring those gifts, you know? And, and so if you are um, Anglican, don't get un-Anglican when you get here. Bring some of that in. Um, yeah. You know, so we, yeah. we've tried to say we want to be a reconciling table, reconciling in many different ways. But one of them is the, the reconciliation of God's bride, you know, mm-hmm. the bride of Christ, which has been scattered to countless denominations. Mm-hmm. So part of that was saying, well, if we have a church calendar, that gives us a natural rhythm in which to understand the fullness of the church's life Mm -hmm. so you know we have a lot of artists and so we'll say okay well when do you make art well advent's a good time to make art because that's a season lent's a good time easter's a good time Mm -hmm. um when we need rest well when can we get rest well rest maybe in the summer what does the summer fall in well it falls into a season called ordinary time so what if we practice ordinary time through july and august since that's a time that we want to rest so we, we kind of started by just saying what is the existing church calendar and how do we allow that to live in our community? And for some people, they'd never even heard of the church calendar before. And for other people, they were like, I'm Catholic. I've been doing this my whole life. You guys yeah. suck at it. But hey, you know, you're trying. <laughs> and so that even that's great. So um, then from there, it started being, well, what if, I have a line in the book talking about this, but we, we were so tired after Christmas one year. We did this art installation for Advent. We were renting from this gorgeous church downtown, and we were setting up and tearing down every week. And we had... It was apocalypse themed and we had this big Christmas monster we had made. And every week we tore down and set up. It was exhausting. (laughs) And then Christmas Eve happened. And that was like, you know, that we, we did it. And then three days later, it was the Sunday after Christmas. And I'm supposed to what, start a new sermon series. Yeah. Like we're fried. Yeah. Everyone in our church is fried and, and, you know, everyone's exhausted. And I thought, well, what can we do? And as we talked about it, we thought, what if we had a service that was just rest? We looked in the liturgy, you know, for the, for the church calendar and there was nothing, but we thought, well, if the church calendar exists for us, not us for the church calendar, maybe we can just make something up. So that's how we made up nap Sunday, which is literally everybody comes in like normal to church, but they wear pajamas. They bring kids, bring stuffies. Yeah. Uh, And then during the sermon, instead of having a sermon, everyone gets their own pew and everyone lies down and we have total silence. And someone reads Jesus' teachings about anxiety and worry, do not worry about tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. And they read that three times over half an hour, and everybody snoozes. And the first time we did it, we heard somebody snoring. And I was like, that's perfect. Nothing says grace like snoring in church. And the the (laughs) theological implication for us became not just that we get rest and, and Jesus gives us rest, but that grace says you don't need to learn a thing to come to the table. You wake up from your nap. Hey, wake up, everybody. Come on. Jesus has a table for you. It's all set. Yeah. Well, I didn't learn anything in the sermon. I didn't repent this week. It's fine. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to do anything this week. We, grace comes to you after your nap. Yeah. That's, that's the power of grace. And so it, it actually theologically started settling into our bones. Oh, there's something really powerful about not learning, not, imp- not self-improving, not spiritually growing. And still knowing that the table is
0: for you. Well, it's like in Judaism, the day starts at sunset. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So the first thing you do at sunset is you gather everybody <laughs> together. You gather everybody together at sunset. Um, you, uh, you have your, your meal rituals. And uh, you you dine together. You've, you share... And then everybody goes to sleep. Yeah. There's how you start your day. And we've reversed it and said, no, your day starts in the morning when you get up to go to work. Right. But God's idea was... The most important
1: thing is that you go to work. Right. (laughs) And God's
0: idea is... Well, the most important thing is start at the table together Mm. uh, and and then after that rest.
1: Oh, wouldn't that be beautiful? And then work a bit. Out yeah. of your yeah, after out of your rest, yeah. After you've
0: yeah, after you've rested, get oh, up. Oh gosh, do right, your that's work.
1: it. It's officially now Tuesday. Wait, no, what day would it be? I'm gonna start. I'm gonna do the math, and then I'm gonna start my day. Yeah. At dinner time tonight.
0: Right on. <laughs> so uh, nap Sunday, um, talk about the wake for Jesus. Oh yeah. So, so, Jesus. so these
1: things kind of just became part of them, the the culture, and part of yeah. the culture was let's just try stuff, and if it fails, that's fine. Yeah. So for every nap Sunday or, or the wake for a righteous man, which I can explain in, in a minute, you know, but for every event we do that takes root there's two or three events we do that we go let's never do that again you know like that <laughs> so but that's fine like failure is a part of of being the church experimentation uh, yeah reading the spirit trying to say spirit what are mm-hmm. you doing mm-hmm. and then see i'm talking pentecostal nicely for you hey right on i'm him. getting more pentecostal and that's part of the part of what i'm what i'm trying <laughs> to go through right now is, is is get good with the ghost again but um yeah you know that 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 we can try and we can fail or be successful and fruitful and, and either way is fine, you know? So the, the one that has taken that we've also loved is the wake for a righteous man, which is an attempt to kind of understand good Friday as an event, you mm-hmm. know, not as, um, a holy day on the calendar, but as a living yeah. event. And so we, uh, get everyone to dress up in black, they bring funeral food like Nanaimo bars and, and triangles. Mm-hmm. Um, people bring triangle whiskey, sandwiches. triangle sandwiches, yeah. Yeah, not just triangles, not like kids' triangles, but oh, yeah, okay. triangle sandwiches. Ding. People bring whiskey and wine um, and, and you know, non-alcoholic versions of drinks. Um, they bring snacks. And then we set up a full table of snacks and we have pictures of Jesus. And we have, you know, pictures of Jesus in 10 different, you know, ethnic uh, frameworks. So, you know, indigenous Christ mm. painting from an indigenous painter, uh, uh you know, kind of Coptic Orthodox kind of imagery, white Jesus, you know, we have yeah. kind of black Jesus. We, yeah. we have all these different visions of laughing Christ. Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. we, and we have them all up to kind of show us the one who we've lost. And mm. um, everyone gathers and, and we have a, a wake mm. and we, we have kind of classical music playing and people make small talk. And it was in our house at first and we've had it now in the building a couple of times and it's mm-hmm. all very somber and then at a point in the night, somebody will get up to the mic and say, like, hey, excuse me, excuse me. And everyone will look over and the music will get quiet and they'll say, I only met the deceased once. I was um, getting the water from the, from the well in the village and uh, couldn't go in the morning. And they'll start telling the story of a character in scripture, right? whether named or, or unnamed or fictional or, or historic. And they'll kind of do a monologue from the perspective of someone who met Jesus or loved Jesus or, or encountered him once. Yeah. And three people will do that. We have nine over the night and they'll each kind of give a a story of the deceased. And the only two rules that we have are, um, be honest. So, so pick a character that means something to you and, and get in their sandals. Mm -hmm. um, and don't know the future. Don't say, but I'm sure he'll rise again. Like, no, they didn't know that. They didn't know that. Right. You, if you don't go, even though low, he told them,
0: they still didn't know.
1: No, that. no, yeah. they're all like us, stupid like us. And so it was like, get, get your head into the depths of this moment. Get as sad as this would be. Really let it hit you that you've lost the one you love. So that when Easter Sunday comes, we can ascend even, you know, higher. We can mm-hmm. we can leave the grave behind. Mm. But that was like that took a while to kind of get people feeling comfortable with this idea. And and. You know, you'd still have the odd person that would say, I'm sure it's all going to be made right you know, in their speeches early on because <laughs> Christians have been taught you have to resolve every, yeah. every night. Every service has yeah. to resolve. Yeah. But now it's become, it doesn't resolve at all. It's incredibly painful. People pick characters that, that have suffered, characters that have lost faith, and they themselves are losing faith or suffering. Um, they pick characters that have been abused. If they've been abused, they, they tell the story. And you get this weird, this moment that, that I think this is what liturgy does so well is it's like, it ta- if you're watching the video of this, you'll get this more, but I'm using my hands to describe this. But it takes the past, 2,000 years ago, and it takes today, 2020, 2019, whenever we've done it, and it just pulls the past like, like a, or like kind of pulls them together like a, like, like a material, you know, mm-hmm. pinches both sides and squeezes them together. And for that night, you don't really know if you're back then or you're here now. Mm. You know, like you feel like yeah. you've traveled through time a bit. And um, Andrew Root, actually, in his book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, talked about how ancient people, not even ancient people, like up until the the, the Enlightenment, they thought of time as holy. There were days that were more holy than other days. Mm. So he says that Good Friday, 2019, or, you know, let's go with like 3050. <laughs> good Friday, 1350 um, was closer to good the first Good Friday than three weeks before good Friday in 1350 Mm -hmm. that it's not about chronological time that brings you close to the events of scripture, but it's that holy time is a wormhole that you zip
0: through Uh. to get
1: back. So every Easter we are closer to the first Easter, Mm. right? On the day of Easter, you're closer to the first Easter than you are five years ago because it's not about chronological time moving forward. It's about holy days that puncture reality and invite you to travel through a wormhole back to oh, when they occur. Brilliant. So that's in Andrew Root's book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, which is mm. one of my top books of the last couple of years. Mm. Um, but really said to me, oh, that's why the wake works. Right. Because we're back there. We've traveled through time. That's why liturgy matters. And it's, you can get too liturgical and you can yeah. lose presence here and now because yeah. you're always trying to be a time traveler going back to the ancient you know, because everything's too liturgical. Yeah. Um, but I think for more uh, Protestant evangelicals, we've tended to have no time travel in our faith. Yeah. Everything's modern. It's just, so no wonder we're, di- we're, we're disenchanted. Yeah. No wonder we feel like the events of Scripture bear little resemblance on us. And no wonder we've taken Scripture and made it ideology, made it a, a bunch of rules and, and beliefs and frameworks that we pin in a book, because we, we don't know how to encounter the living Word. You know so we, we codify it, and yeah. then we tell people to check the right boxes right and that 's fine, but that 's not transformative.
0: The kingdom of God is a wormhole
1: it's a wormhole and you 've got to get in that wormhole you 've got to yeah. experience you know and, and the work yeah. you do i 'm sure with new song and people on um, people on the margins encounter the presence of Christ they are wormholes mm-hmm. also children mm-hmm. are wormholes, you know yeah. joy and suffering are wormholes, so we, we have wormholes to access it yeah. but but liturgy and um Holy days, whether mm. made up, but especially when they're the ancient holy days, these are all ways to access the, the kingdom of God. Um, and we've only been able to experience that because we have people from all these different traditions coming to our church and bringing their gifts of their backgrounds and denominations. The, the,
0: the potluck is, is a brilliant metaphor that is so often missing in a lot of uh, box set churches. Well, yeah, they're like, you know, yeah. if
1: you bring Caribbean, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we're Italian. Yeah. Like our restaurant's Italian. So <laughs> I know you're from the Caribbean and you've got all this Caribbean flavor and all this Caribbean yeah. food and all these insights and worldviews. But we need you to really be Italian,
0: <laughs> yeah. you
1: know, because you're yeah. in an Italian kitchen now. And yeah. that's, again, maybe that's fine. But, yeah, when you've got the potluck idea that the church is a potluck mm. and the kingdom is a potluck, mm-hmm. suddenly every new person brings with them something to share. Mm-hmm. And and we need to welcome it. You know, yeah. that's, we need hospitality to yeah. welcome it.
0: And most of what people bring is likable.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and sometimes Tasty. It's not likable to you, but somebody else is like, no, this really, yeah. this dish is delicious. <laughs> and you know, it. Yeah, I love I love the idea of the church as a potluck. It, I find it yeah. so compelling still.
0: So uh, let's talk about your family for a minute. Your wife, Meg. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys, thirteen years married.
1: Thirteen years married. Yeah, going strong. Got yeah. married at fifteen. Right no, on. Not quite, but right 20, on. which is almost 15, yep. which is scary.
0: You were yeah. almost legal when you got married.
1: Yeah, we were. We, yeah. we couldn't rent a car on our honeymoon.
0: Um, <laughs> and we weren't even right. close. We weren't 25. At yeah. 25, we weren't even yeah.
1: close to renting a car on our honeymoon. Yeah. I always say, like when couples say, you know, you got married at 20? I go, yeah, it was a, probably a bad idea, but it worked out really well for us. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I always start by saying, probably don't do it, but also... Eh, if you want to get married at 20, get married at 20. It can also be the best. Yeah. Forces you to grow up a bit.
0: And uh, you got a daughter, Clementine. She's four. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Oscar is how old? Nine months. Nine months. Nine months and four teeth. Okay, so he is uh, probably, uh, in the story of his life, something that will be repeated is that uh, he was uh, a, a baby during COVID. Yeah. 19. He
1: has no idea what's going on.
0: And uh, let's talk a bit about the uh, the shutdown. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, how has the the shutdown affected you personally, you and your family? Um, Are you okay? And, and what's. Are you okay? I'm, I'm not okay. <laughs> well, no. you, it's okay. It's just you and me on this podcast. Right. No one's listening. So, you can tell my me your junk. Yeah.
1: Um, we are okay. <laughs> so, we, when, the sh- when the shutdown started, we were on a. It's been very disappointing. It's been a very disappointing, painful season in many mm-hmm. ways for me, mostly my own s- sadness and, and wounds. Um, mm-hmm. So, we were on a road trip in America. We had taken a five-week, I had taken a five-week parental leave, Yeah. Um, and we were going to road trip all across America with our kids. Nice. We were going down to Florida. We had a free place in Florida, um, two free places in Florida. We had a cottage on the way down that was free. On the way back up, we had a family in the mountains of North Carolina give us a uh, massive wood cottage that sleeps 12 people Wow. Um, for free, and we wow. were going to stay there for two weeks. I was going to write the first draft of the second book on this five weeks that we were gone. And uh, about a third of the way down as we were, what, 20 hours or so from the border, 15 hours from the border, driving with kids in our Nissan Versa, two kids packed full. Um, We started seeing COVID news get worse and then worse Mm. and then worse. And then the NBA shut down. And then Mm. we were like, oh, this is not, this is happening. The NBA has shut down. And suddenly we were stressed and we had to get back across the border and Trudeau's calling us all to get back. And so we drive 15 hours one night to get back over the border. And then it's like, well, I've got the book release coming up, and that'll be okay. And, and then we'll go, and we got church. At least we've got church. And then church starts getting told, no, you, you guys can't meet. And we're like, oh, okay, the, the church is paused. And I'm gone. So the elders and my co-pastor, Jill, are putting together videos every week now. And we're watching them on our trip as we start coming back going, what is happening? And then we get back and... We go, well, okay, at least the book launch by then it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. No, no. Now the book is called Why Would I Even Go to Church? And I'm releasing it during the only time in human history. When no one on earth is going to church. (laughs) That is the weirdest timing to put out a book about something that's been happening for 2000 years. Yeah. I thought this for sure would be still going on. So no one's going to church, and people are going. Why would anyone go to church? I wish we could go to church. And go, oh my. And then you go, maybe people shouldn't go to church because you might all get sick. So it's mm-hmm. uh, that's all crazy. And then the the book starts coming out, and that's gone. And we had a cross Canada tour booked with thirty cities across Canada that was supposed to be all summer. All of that got canceled, and and the church that I love that we wrote about is, you know, we're we're in diaspora. We're kind of scattered across the city. Yeah, and you're going. God, what? This sucks. This is the worst. <laughs> Why is this happening? And and where are you? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was a brutal kind of death to the ego of, you know, all the planning. Uh, I'm an Enneagram three. I like a good plan. Mm-hmm. I like a mm-hmm. good, you know, seize it and let's go. Charge yep. ahead. Yep. And uh, this has really been a season of you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You thought you knew and you had no idea.
0: We can't predict the future now.
1: You can't predict it. Your plans, hold them with an open hand. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's been difficult. You know, my mm. kids are both, uh, my daughter was in daycare a little bit, and she's home all the time now. And so, you know, they're feeling it. We have housemates, two housemates. So suddenly mm-hmm. our house got really small because everybody's mm-hmm. home all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was just, I mean, a really hard season. And yet, it's also been one of the most fruitful, beautiful times of my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, we're seeing, you know, now that it's warm enough, we can see friends in the backyard. Um, you get, you go deeper with fewer people, which Mm -hmm. is really good for someone with my kind of temperament. I like, I like large groups. I'm Mm -hmm. an extrovert, Yeah. but, um, sitting around a fire till 3am last night with two of my best friends is just, you know, that's, that's amazing. And and suddenly no one can travel anywhere. So we were going to go across Canada. We had uh, friends that, you know, friends that work, they go to LA and New York all the time for work. And suddenly we're all just in our backyards and we started calling it cottage in the city. Summer twenty twenties, cottage yeah. in the city. We pretend we're at the cottage. So you go to Dairy Queen and you go, wow, it's so nice that they have a Dairy Queen in this small beach town. You know, yeah. we go to Lake Ontario, we go swimming and go, wow, Lake Huron's so beautiful. This, you know, we've just yeah. kind of pretended that we're at the cottage and there's been all this beauty in, in our church. People are organically gathering in backyards. They're taking care mm-hmm. of each other. Mm-hmm. We're making these videos every week. Different people are owning different things we're going to totally have to revision what it looks like to gather. We're not going to just you're, be...
0: You're back to church planning.
1: We're back to church planning. Yeah. Um, but with the wisdom and the relational web of, of a decade. Yeah. Maybe and that's so, why
0: God did this to the whole world. So, well, that, so that I could get some content could, for the next book. That's right. No, I
1: <laughs> don't quite believe that. But, um, well, well, but there has been that, that yeah. those realities that... You know, I used to make this joke, Kevin, where I'd say, at 10 years, Eucharist should just... We should shut it down. Mm-hmm. And, and close it all the way down, close everything, and then restart as the Eucharist Church of Hamilton. Just so that our empire doesn't get so big yeah. that we end up kind of losing our souls. And 10-year anniversary is in September. And, and that's uh, exactly what's happening. And we're not back to scratch in terms of the community. The community, yeah. everyone's still participating, belonging, but we are back to scratch in terms of expressing yeah. how God's spirit is at work in Hamilton. You're,
0: you're, you're planting uh, a church with uh, a building with right. with some a, a income, a, <laughs> a bit of a budget, and and an incredible uh, core group of people that know each other. Oh and yeah. are committed to each other. We
1: got the best church plant I could ever imagine. Yeah, you know, the first time we had like twenty, thirty people in a church plant. This time though, we've got we got and and people have jobs now, and they've got insights, yeah. and they've got relationships with their neighbors. So this is the best time to be planting a church. Yeah,
0: and don't you got? Didn't you tell me you have like sixty? kids under the age of six in your church yeah i
1: mean under the age of six not all of them but there's 60 kids on our roster and and most of them are under the age of six wow um so yeah these are all you know if we're trying to say how do we make COVID and post covid the same as before Hmm. we're in trouble yeah because and not it's not just the church that's everyone if you're trying to make your life the same as it was pre-covid then you're missing the opportunity in this you know and yeah that's the idea that that the spirit is personal enough to be present in this for each of us, yeah, and that each of us have transformation to experience through this time, yeah. If we're willing, though, um, on the side of our building we have a big quote by Henry Nowen, uh, with these two hands, and the quote says, "Who will I be when I stand before you with open hands?"
0: Oh, that's good.
1: And I think that's the that's the COVID question, and it you know it's on our building, thank God, as a reminder. Yeah. Even this building for us is an open hand. What mm-hmm. will this look like? This space. What will these people look like? How will these kids engage with one another? How will they engage with you, God? Mm -hmm. Um, What will we look like when we stand before you with open hands? Mm -hmm. And if we cling our hands, then this is a horrible time because God's going to keep yanking things out of our hands. And we're going to be holding on saying, no, give me it back. But if we can open our hands and trust that God only takes out what has to leave and only Mm -hmm. gives what we need to receive, then this can become a time where we receive exactly what we've been longing for. Mm. And where we lose the things that have been weighing us down for far
0: too long. We're back to the soggy bread, casting your bread on the water. I still don't know what that means.
1: I hope by the end of this, you you give me a breakdown of that.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if I can, but, (laughs) um, you know, and, and, you know, um, your best guess or what you think the spirit is whispering to the church globally because this is happening to all of us at yeah. the same time any uh any thoughts on what god's up to
1: well i won't get concrete because i've taken july uh, i don't know when this is coming out but we're recording it in july um we're, uh, we're
0: coming out uh august uh, sometime in there august there you yeah. go Locked actually you know what you're uh we have a, a um yep august 1st nice well, that's so my daughter's birthday Oh, um, happy so yeah, birthday, Happy birthday, Clem. Clementine. We
1: did, I did this for you, honey?
0: Yeah. <laughs> She's
1: like, why <laughs> don't you? Put it? I want Sesame Street. Um, my yeah, I, I've committed July to being a, a month of things laying fallow. So I have I've mm-hmm. been trying not to give any answers or, or even guesses at solutions. But if I had to guess what God was maybe up to in this, I think that Christendom, the kind of power institution of the church, mm-hmm. captured our imagination for too long.
0: The empire. So even
1: the, yeah, the kind of the, the idea that that Christianity is power, mm. that Christianity is colonialism, that Christianity is is converting people mm-hmm. to be like you, not experiencing mutual transformation of the power of Christ, but right. you're going to become like me. Yeah. Um, which is what the worst of evangelism has looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the idea that we're going to have these big staff teams and these big buildings and that you know all this kind of stuff that that's the default of church, right? Not the outlier, but the default. Right. I think that is going to be killed by COVID. Mm-hmm. I hope that's going to be killed by mm-hmm. COVID. Um, because it's just that we, 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 we can't gather like that. I mean gosh, to be a mega church right now, can you imagine the, the stress of that? Uh, yeah, I know. Personality some, driven some of the guys church. I
0: know they they got a they got a big challenge.
1: Well yeah, yeah, I mean I mean we have a big challenge as a smaller church, but mm-hmm. but we, we have a web of relationships that have been able to kind of keep this going and, mm-hmm. and the churches that aren't stressed right now I'll tell you who the house churches. Mm-hmm. no house church is going, what are we going to do? COVID they go, okay, we're not going to meet together for a while. And then we'll go back to houses. Yeah. And oh No. What if we lose some money? That's okay. We, we only pay a few people a little bit, or, you know, we, yeah. we don't pay anybody. We, we give our money to other causes, um, you know, or smaller congregations might be fine too. Um, it'll depend case by case. Mm. But I think the big church, the kind of attractional church, I mean, how are you going to get people back after five months of them going and doing other stuff on a Sunday morning? If, if your churches were the best show in town mm-hmm. and this is what you want to do every Sunday because we're such a good show. Well, once everyone's been away from it, out of the rhythm, I, I do wonder what's that going to look like. What's it going to look like when the show is a third of the people, when you can't sing at the show, yeah. when the sermon, uh, looks different, you know, um, when the pastor can't preach five times on a Sunday without burning out. Mm. So now you've got to get other lay leaders up to preach and they're not very good at it, but boy, are they a part of our community? You know, there's all these beautiful mm. opportunities, but if we cling to this, we are going to be the awesome show kind of church. I just can't see how you make it through this well.
0: Maybe the the meek will inherit the church.
1: Maybe. I don't know if I'm so meek. So hopefully, I mean, I don't need to inherit it, but there's <laughs> like to be a part of it. But I think that what we are going to see and what I hope we'll see anyways is that the church will stop looking to the biggest and best and brightest and the big conferences mm-hmm. and the mega everything mm-hmm. as our default. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's room for those in the kingdom. I, I don't think there's no room, but I don't think it's the default. Mm-hmm. And maybe the church will look to the global church, you know, the church in North America will look to the global church, to the underground church, to the home church, um, to the parish congregation. Um, maybe we'll look back in time to look at, you know, I did an interview with um, someone the other day in, who was raised in uh, Philadelphia and said that when he was a kid, he was Jewish. Um, he's now a Messianic. He's a Messianic Jew uh, pastor, rabbi. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a fascinating interview. But he said he saw all these parishes that were open 24-7, These these Catholic parishes where shift workers would get off at 3 a.m. and go by and, and pray the Hail Marys and light some candles and do confession and then go home. And he said, he said they never had that many people. He said the synagogue would have a 1,000 people on a Sunday or on a Saturday or whatever mm-hmm. day they celebrate. Saturday, I think. They'd be packed full, but then everyone would go home. And he mm-hmm. said that was one model, but he saw this other model that was little trickles of people into holy spaces, into little wormholes where they would encounter God, encounter their priest, encounter their relationships with a few people, and then they'd go back home and go back to work. And I mm. think, man, there's an imagination shift. The churches—what if the churches? Groups of ten, groups of five, groups of thirty—you know—and so if we start looking at the global church and the historic church, we're going to find there are endless opportunities. I don't think one is right, but there's one just endless options. One size doesn't fit all. No, but no. there's so many creative options. And yeah. For so long, we've said the one size that fits all is we'll all become big mega churches. That's the goal of every yeah. church is to grow. Yeah. And I just think no, COVID has killed that, and and R.I.P. Yeah. You know, rip megachurches. Default that just made
0: all us uh, little guys and girls feel feel uh, bad about ourselves. Well, that because we weren't successful and. Well, see, I'm just saying that all this metric, so that yeah. I
1: feel good about myself. The well, whole point of this is just to self-justify why we can't grow.
0: Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> Well, I feel good about you. So. <laughs> well, I, I feel take awesome my vote. About,
1: about this community, and and it's going to look different for us yeah. too. We're all in this together. But again, if we have open hands, God might say, "Here's a beautiful new thing you never would have thought of." Yeah. If your imagination was still hijacked by becoming bigger and better,
0: hmm. I've got one more question for you. Um, I got one more rant. Okay, good. Some incoherent rant. Good, and then we'll we'll have some uh, uh, cheeseatar lunch. Yes, Uh There, I just gave a free plug. We don't for, even know if it's good yet. We well, yeah. We'll have to do a second podcast and review our just, lunch. Uh, yeah, our new food podcast. That's right. Um, so I want I want you to. Um, uh, answer a pervasive question and uh why would anyone want to go to church
1: oh isn't that the question that i wrote a book trying to solve and i think i gave some answers but um i mean the kind of like shorthand of the book what i'm kind of trying to get across spoiler alert i mean i do it with more funny stories in the book than i'm going to do it right now but if you're looking to Go to church. I don't really understand what the appeal is with going to church. Um, Mm. Going to what? Like a service once a week on a Sunday morning, one of the two days you're allowed to sleep in because you really want to hear an organ. (laughs) Or if not an organ, you really want (laughs) to hear five dads shredding guitars to the added chorus of Be Thou My Vision. That's what you want on your Sunday morning, your one day off. You really want to hear a book report on a 2,000-year-old letter by a guy who's up there every week given the same book report or a woman who's up there every week, giving the same book report, you know, did you wake up this morning and think I really need some mediocre coffee? I really need some, you know, like, (laughs) no, if like, no offense, but except for the, the rare outliers, churches are not that good at an entertainment level. No, you know, I go to now this is all pre COVID talk, but I go to, I used to go to, I go to comedy shows and that's honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, you want honest confession. That's comedy. It's mm-hmm. and you'll laugh the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to see good music. I can g- drive to Toronto and catch Bonnie Vere playing. You know, to ten thousand people, or I can go downtown and catch a theater and an intimate set yeah. of, of of music. There's no limit to options. I got I got yoga. I got TED talks. Mm-hmm. I can Google at any point and hear the best sermon in the world. I'm going to go to church and listen yeah. to the priest give a homily. Yeah. But that's all if we view church as a product to be consumed. Mm. Or if we view church as uh, a place we go. So I'm not sold on going to church. I'm truly sold on being the church. Mm. Um, So, you know, all of that I just described is not compelling to me. um, Or at least compelling enough to, to be the motive to go to church. But then you say, what if you went to a place where everyone participates? including the dads rocking on the guitar. You know, they, everyone plays a role because they can play music. And somebody made that coffee. And of course, it's not the world's best coffee. It was made in a big carafe because that's the way you make coffee that can be affordable enough for anyone to come in. And how yeah. much is the coffee? It's free. Yeah, You know, and who gets to drink it? Anyone. Someone can walk in off the street and have a cup of coffee at our service and then walk out afterwards. And that's fine. Tell me where else you get that in a mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. Where else do you get... Um, You know, the sermon wasn't that good. Well, you know what? The preacher was a 23-year-old seminarian, and it was her second sermon. Where else do you get to hear somebody vulnerably share good news when they're just learning themselves? And and yeah, it's loud in here, and the kids are kind of crazy. Where else do kids get to go and be a part of something? I can give you a list of places where kids get to go and be the center of things. Mm -hmm. But where do they go when they're told, you're not the center here? Christ and his table is the center, but you are welcome. You Mm. belong here not when you act like a grown-up you as a kid where else do you get people in their 70s and their 80s together with people in their 20s where else do people make public art together that anyone can come see for free where else do we pool our resources so that we can pay people who maybe help facilitate this Mm. but also where we can create mission program outreaches that work where else do you give money that then says let's give money to other places and what are the most important things happening in our city so so the church, when, when you view it through that framework as a living organism, oh my goodness, that is the most compelling thing I can think of. A place where you go and you're going to accidentally hurt each other, and then you're going to be given the antidote to the poison. You're going to hurt each other, and then you're going to be told how to forgive each other. When was the last time you saw somebody on Twitter say, I was really, I'm really sorry for how I acted? And someone says, you know what? I forgive you. We all make mistakes. There's grace for you Yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. I'll tell you, I don't see it. But in the church, I've seen it time and time again. Mm. And so none of that is lost by covid. No. Right? None of what matters about church is nothing that matters will be lost. Um and all of that is why I believe we should be a part of the church. And if somebody's listening to this and they think, yeah, I'm not there yet. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I completely understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is countercultural and upside down and I get it. But if anyone listening to this, you know, is either a part of a church or or on the fence, I think there's something so beautiful and compelling in that, that that must be why God gave us this expression, you know, people, community, um, a table, bread and wine, forgiveness of sins, a story, a scripture, mm. you know, um, the presence of the spirit being noticed by a group of people in a room. I just think that is worth giving our lives to. And I, I think I would say that even if I wasn't a pastor, I, th- I hope I'm a pastor because I believe that yeah. if not. I believe that because I'm a pastor. Um, maybe someday, I heard you
0: were in it for the money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we church planted, I had another job for the first five years, which helps me, helps, helps me believe that I wasn't in it because it was a job because for the first five years I was hardly paid. Um, and I got to work at the group home full-time while I was doing church planting. Yeah. Now I, you know, the congregation has been very kind and said, no, we don't want you to have to work two jobs just so that you don't feel weird about it. Like we want to pay you so you can do this. But I hope that if COVID means that I'm part-time or I lose my job and I hope I'm still a part of this church. I hope I'm still helping guide and, and, and you know, direct this thing, whatever the future looks like. Again, who will I be when I stand before you with open hands? Mm. Um, if, if God says, yeah, this is the time where we no longer have full-time clergy, I'm taking that out of your hands, I have to trust that that is good for me and good for the congregation. Mm. Um, if God says, no, you're going to continue to be in a, in a job here, but it's going to look different, I have to trust that God's going to take out what needs to be taken out and put in what's going to be put in. And that's mm. an awful awful thing to like to, to experience it's right. painful but but it's also the best because then i don't need to stress about it because it's god's work not mine
0: yeah there's something i think apoc- apocalyptic about what we're totally. experiencing right now and and the beauty of the apocalypse is that it's an unveiling yeah and and god wants to reveal uh something about the true nature of his kingdom yeah, and uh, you know um, why would anyone go to church? Well, church is a wormhole, and church if it is a does, wormhole. if, if I wrote it the doesn't book
1: now, I'd have a chapter called "Church is a Wormhole." Church
0: is a wormhole.
1: In the next book, I'll have some wormhole stuff. I'm sure. And and if it,
0: it doesn't a, take me to another world, then I'm not going.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen.
0: Yeah, Kevin, uh, just thank you so much for your time today, and also for sharing your space. Uh, we're gonna record a couple other podcasts uh, here in your space and uh um i i knew when i read your book that i already liked you without meeting you mm. and now that i've met you i know that i still like you oh, so well, uh you're a likable guy <laughs> just,
1: i mean i still failed boot camp if you know not everyone thinks i'm a likable guy yeah
0: that's a whole other podcast yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> wow thank you so much kevin thanks guys Well, Kevin is a trailblazer, and uh, he uh, has a lot of insight things that uh, I think are valuable to the church at large in Canada, especially for those of us who are involved in the urban church. Our next uh, guest on the next episode of Sidewalk Skyline podcast is uh, the Reverend David Wells. David Wells is the general superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Uh, He's also recently uh, been elected as the president of the uh, Pentecostal Charismatic Churches of North America, a collective of uh, Pentecostal churches that are working together for unity. In our uh, episode coming up, we're going to have a view from thirty thousand feet. What does Canada look like from thirty thousand feet? Now, uh, when we think about Canada and uh, this trail that I'm on on my holidays, the Bruce Trail, uh, this is uh, certainly uh, points out uh, so, uh, something true about Canada. Canada is uh, has far more land mass than it has people, and uh, the uh, majority of Canada is uh just uh countryside and yet the majority over 80 percent of canadian's population don't live uh, out in the woods don't live out in the country over 80 percent live in urban centers across canada and uh, we see the pattern through the gospels and and the acts and the epistles all through the new testament church that the early church was founded on major roots in major cities and uh, so that's why in this podcast we focus so much uh, on urban centers because a lot of people don't know what God is up to in the streets of our cities and I just think that's a shame I think you should know and uh, David Wells is uh, uh, a man who I consider to be a real architect of urban ministry in Canada And I think you're going to enjoy hearing him on our next episode. Well, until the next time, uh, I'm Kevin Rogers. This is sidewalk skyline podcast. And if you haven't taken any holidays yet this year, you better.